Well, hello, YouTube Power Hour Squad. Erica here with another episode for you. So right now, I'm currently busy recording brand spanking new episodes and interviews for you. So in the meantime, I'm going to be playing some of our best episodes, some of our most popular episodes for you so that you can hear them again, get inspired again, or if you're new, then you can be introduced to these amazing interviews. So if you're new, welcome. Make sure that if you're enjoying the podcast, you do subscribe because I will be coming out with brand new episodes in the new season. And also make sure that you leave a review if you're enjoying the episode. If you're a newbie or if you're a returner and you haven't left the review, reviews are amazing and they help this podcast get found. I also love it when you share on your Instagram, tag me at beauty and the vlog. Let me know how these episodes are affecting you. Let me know what you're learning. Let me know what you do while you're listening. It just, seeing that continues to keep me inspired to keep going and providing you with this amazing content. Enjoy the interview. Mwah. All right, so this week I've got uh, a sex therapist in the house. So I've got someone different with a really unique niche who's been able to leverage her YouTube popularity with outside opportunities uh, for shows like MTV and Full Screen, and she had some amazing media appearances. So uh, we talk a lot about that, and uh, she just had a, so much insightful, interesting things to say. So I will give you her bio, and then we will jump right into the interview. So Shan Boudram is a sex love expert, certified as a sexual educator and as a clinical sexologist. Her book Laid was a Canadian bestseller and her social reach spans over 300,000 and her latest project as a host of MTV's Guide to Series garnered international press, including GQ UK, the New York Times and The View. Her YouTube channel, a sex positive platform, has over 16 million views and over 260,000 subscribers. Through her work as a sexual educator, she runs a Skype one-on-one counseling service is an ambassador for AIDS Healthcare Foundation and a volunteer at Aviva, a house for young women who have survived sex trafficking. She has landed hosting roles with MTV and BET as an expert or panelist. She has appeared on CNN Radio, Fox News, KTLA, ABC, CBC, The Insider, VH1, TLC, and most recently on National Geographic. So she's really been everywhere and really been able to leverage her YouTube and social media popularity into a bona fide media career. Um, digitally, she has also hosted a series for Esquire magazine and has an original series with full screen set to release sometime now. So uh, I have the link for you guys if you want to check it out after the interview. All right. Well, without further ado, here's the interview. Mwah. Well, welcome to the show, Shan. Woo, I'm excited. Yay, I'm so excited to have you on. Um, just because what you do is so different than a lot of the other people that I've had on the show. And I just can't wait to hear kind of your experiences. Um, so, you know, the first question that I ask everybody that comes onto the show is what inspired you to get onto YouTube? I was somebody who uh, went the, the traditional route first, and I got a degree for journalism, um, and then I wrote a book about sexuality, and I use YouTube, but kind of more in like a recreational way to promote my book, Nothing Serious, and then I moved out to Los Angeles, and I did a bunch of pilots, and after the fourth failed pilot, I was like, how about YouTube, a place where the content that I make actually gets seen by more than seven people in a room who I never get to meet, you know, a place where... I have more control, a place where I am the editor and I am the chief executive officer and I am this talent. And so it was just me giving myself a yes, because I felt that, you know, the industry, you can get a yes, but even then yeses don't mean yeses. And I just got a little tired of that. Especially game. in Hollywood. Oh, yes. Yes, girl. Yeah. <laughs> so so when you mean pilot, are you talking about like, were you trying to be an actress or was this related to your book that you wrote? Yeah, no, it was always specifically related to like sex or relationships. And so the I did two pilots for BET and the second one was for this other company and the fourth one was for MTV and it was actually really specifically based on a counselor role with working with young couples who go through cheating on the internet. So it's mm. always been in my realm mm -hmm. and because of the fact that I am so niche, like jobs for me are few and far between. There's not yeah. like a bunch of shows coming out that are like, we need a Shannon Boudram. Mm -hmm. And so when I do get one, you have to really sink your teeth into it. It's really heartbreaking when you get a show and you do the audition process and then you, you, know, you go for the pilot and you do all this work and then it ends up all for naught. Okay, so you so you actually tried 
doing a couple. I mean, you. It sounded like you had some. It's like you had. You're almost there. I mean, those are pretty good opportunities to have pilots with like MTV and BET. I mean, that's that's not even in itself that easy to get. Yeah, and it was an awesome opportunity, and I learned a lot, and I grew a lot. But I definitely think that the way that they did sex ed wasn't exactly on par with the way that I wanted to do mm-hmm. it. And then, of course, you still have to wait for that extra yes. And yeah. The thing with digital versus traditional is there's so much less middlemen I find. Even now that I work in digital in terms of a more traditional route, like I, I've sold shows to digital platforms. Like the process is so much quicker and so much like you know everyone's name and everyone's name is on the email. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I find when it comes to tra- traditional and corporate, like a lot of the times the people who make the decision, you never get a face-to-face with them. Yeah, you never get to meet them. There's so many different levels. They're watching you from behind a camera somewhere and you have no idea. Yeah, it sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> it does, actually. Um, so what what made you, you know, so you your degree was in journalism and you're originally from from Canada. Toronto. Oh, Toronto. Yeah. So your degree was in journalism and then what made you decide to write this book? Uh, journalism school, day one, they say, write what you know. Mm-hmm. And if you know Britney Spears, if you know politics, you know, if you know Spider-Man, whatever it is that you know, you know, you can become a journalistic writer for that thing. And I was like, I think I know sex. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like more to the point at the time, I didn't know enough about it and I was yeah. intrigued. And so I looked at it like, here's an opportunity to tell the kind of stories that I think need to be told. And so my first book, I really approached it from a journalistic uh, investigative experience. And I think as my career has evolved, it's pretty much been the same thing. I've always been like the curious person versus like the more doctor figure. Mm. Um, And in many ways, I think that's why I've done so well on YouTube. Yeah. And so then you full on just decided to pack up and move to LA. Was that really initially, was that for the opportunities of being kind of near the networks and having some kind of a, um, like a mainstream media type of a show? Yeah, it happened in a really beautiful way. I was in a massively toxic relationship and I had a one-year lease with my partner and I was like thinking how would I ever get out of it? And then BET got in touch with me and said, we have this opportunity. We're looking for like a female relationship expert. And I went out and auditioned for it and I got it. And the show did not get picked up, but because of the fact that I had to work on it, the pilot, I had to apply for my visa and do all that immigration work. Mm -hmm. And so even though they said no to me, I was still left having spent thousands of dollars on an immigration visa and an opportunity to move if I wanted. So I came here with nothing. I had the typical story. I stayed on my friend's couch for weeks. I, you know what I mean? Like I, I looked for regular jobs as like a cocktail waitress just to try to make ends meet. And my first year in LA was definitely a rough one because I did not come with a job. But to me, this is the best city on earth. That's so crazy. So like you came, you came not knowing anybody. I mean, I know so many people that do that. They don't know anybody in LA, but they know, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do something in LA. I'm going to make it. And then you came out. And so then the, the BET one didn't work out. How did, how did BET even find you at the beginning? Was your book, did your book, was your book already released? Was it like getting some headway or something? Yeah, my book was released and I had done some like PR for that. Mm. And like I said, I did have a YouTube channel where like I just put interviews that I did or I kind of used it as a, as a promotional tool. Oh, okay. And so it was definitely a freak occurrence uh, that I'm very grateful for. But mm. somehow, and to this day, that lady is still my mentor. Mm, that's amazing. Those relationships are so sometimes relationships like that come out of the oddest places, but you're just like, that's probably the best thing that came out of that situation, I'm sure. Yeah, it's so crazy because sometimes you want to like tell people like it doesn't happen this fairy tale way and it doesn't. Yeah, Don't get yeah. me wrong. Like it's not as if, you know, she came and turned my pumpkin into a carriage and life has been great. But I did have an insane opportunity where somebody from a completely separate country found me online and gave me a once in a lifetime opportunity, which has led me to this point. Mind you, it didn't happen right away. But if it wasn't for that beautiful person saying yes to a complete stranger, I probably wouldn't have half of the things that, you know, I, I love about myself today. Yeah, that's incredible. That's awesome. It's so cool. You're able to kind of keep, stay in touch and, and, and be, you know, have that relationship. So you were, you were here in LA and, and BET didn't work out. You tried something with MTV, a couple of different networks and you, at, and then you're just like, this is just not happening. And then, so I'm assuming you were supporting yourself through, it sounds like, you know, waitressing or cocktailing or, you know, jobs here in LA. 
Yeah, I actually um, went to school for journalism. And of course, like photography is a part of that. And Mm -hmm. so I picked up photography and I was doing wedding photography. And Mm. so when I came out here, I did go for the cocktail waitressing jobs, but I didn't get hired. They're like, you don't have enough experience. And I was like, okay. It's really competitive here in LA. (laughs) It is. It's like really really competitive. Yeah. Listen, I've never, (laughs) like, I've been on some, I interviewed with four different people to get this job. I'm like, who am I serving drinks to, Obama? Like, I don't get it. I know it it's just blessing. it's so competitive um so you didn't end up doing the waitressing you, you did more like photography and stuff like that yeah, to support was, yourself exactly I did photography and I got a job at this photo booth company and so I actually got to do some like um this Brian Krasner Brian it's the creator of Empire I can't remember his mm. exact name it's Brian something okay um I photographed his book release party, which oh. had like every major Hollywood executive you can think of. It's the most stunning house. Like it was almost like getting to be a fly on the wall. So through that experience, even like Essence, they used to throw parties and they would hire my company to do the photo booth, not my company, but yeah. the company I worked for. And so it was like a really um, interesting way to like get my feet wet in LA and kind of see what everything was about. That's so cool. That's, that's kind of cool. I mean, only in LA you can have those kind of jobs. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, okay, so then, so how long were you here in LA where you said that first year was kind of rough, the pilots didn't work out, you weren't obviously doing what you, you were passionate about or whatever. So at what point did you say, you know what, I'm just going to like do try this YouTube thing? After the MTV pilot did not get picked up. So I started auditioning for that project in January. By, let's say, May, I got the green light that I was the chosen talent we shot it in June. Then you have to wait three months to find out whether or not it goes or doesn't go. By August, I knew it wasn't going to go. Mm-hmm. I came back to LA in September because I went home for a month because mm-hmm. I was like so heartbroken. Yeah. Um, that's such a roller coaster. Ugh. Yeah. It I went is. home for a month and I came back and that's when I was like, all right, YouTube. And since then, that was probably September 2015 and everything has gone up tremendously. And whether it's been a slow climb uh, but it's been constant progress, constant new opportunities. And I think for me, like I wish that I did it two years earlier. I wish that I got on board, which is why whenever I meet people who are like, I'm thinking about doing YouTube, I'm like, why are you thinking? It's free. Go and do it. Put yourself out there. People will find it or they don't find it. Who cares? At mm-hmm. least you're starting. Like there's nothing wrong with starting. And you, so you said you started doing your YouTube. You said, did you say September 2015, you said? Yes. Okay. 2015. So you were kind of, you you had like a channel, but that was more for like, just like, it wasn't, you weren't like actively as a channel, right? It wasn't, was it built up? Did you have subscribers already or no? Yeah. I mean, when I first started my channel, I mean, I had put the book out. I had done some TV appearances. Like, you know, there's, I wasn't by any means, like just starting as a 17 year old new in this world. Mm-hmm. I had like done some things. And so when I began, I probably had around 20,000 subscribers oh, okay. just from people seeing me from different outlets. Gotcha. Um, so I didn't start from the bottom, but it definitely was one of those things that was really humbling because I had developed friends in the industry and some of my friends' videos get, you know, 4 million or 40,000 yeah. each time. And here I am putting out videos that are getting views of 800. Mm-hmm. And to be consistent through that process of, you know, essentially having people that I know and respect look at my channel and be like, does she have 20 likes on a video? You know, I had to just get rid of that like voice in my head and say, no one is judging you. You're just judging yourself. Just keep at it. Yeah, that's, that is a really tough thing. And it's tough to keep on doing that, especially when you know, you're like, God, I mean, what I'm putting out is really good. And, you know, it's just, it just needs to have more eyes and ears on it. And, but it's, YouTube is like consistency. You have to keep on doing it to kind of break that break out of that in a way. That's a hundred percent right. Mm-hmm. I went to this thing with uh, Adam, actually my manager who you knew as well, mm-hmm. but we went to UCLA to speak. And one of the students asked that question, like, okay, how do I get big on YouTube? Like, do I do beauty? Should I do video games? Like, should I do cooking? Like what wins on YouTube? And he was like, what wins on YouTube is consistency. You know, yep. that's all that there is to it. And that's a really shocking thing to hear. But it really is. If you show up for YouTube, YouTube shows up for you. And that's not true for everybody. Because I know a lot of people who do daily blogging. Of course, a lot of it has to do with luck, has to do with niche, and other factors. But I think the general rule is like, keep at it. And so um, when you started, were you were you consistent? And did you have the intention of starting as like a sex and relationship type of a channel? 
100%, I wanted to do a sex and relationship type of channel. 100%, the consistency thing is still a struggle for me. Mm. <laughs> you know, I go through periods of time, and I'm sure you can attest to that, where you're like, I'm on it like, mm-hmm. every Sunday, every Wednesday. And then I'm like, sometimes Sundays, sometimes Wednesdays. I'm like, and then it's like, I'm not this Sunday and not this Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you miss a month, but I always pay for it every single time that I drop off, even if it is just for a month. When you come back, it's almost like starting halfway at the halfway point again Mm -hmm. to build yourself back up. Um, So my advice to anybody would be like, I know it's hard, but even just putting out something is better than nothing on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, if you, if if that's what you're doing for sure. So, um, so you wanted to do a sex and relationship type of a channel. That was like what you, that was your goal from the get go. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's good in a way because for a lot of people don't even know they're like, I want to be on YouTube or maybe I'll do something beauty or fashion. So it's great in a way because you have like a pretty good, good niche, um, that I don't maybe, I mean, I don't know as much about it, but like, it's not as competitive as some of the other ones out there. Yeah. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously a catch 22 with that. It's not as competitive because not as many people, people are, are searching it. for that content. Yeah. Yeah. So there's less of a built-in audience for you. But yeah, I'm definitely competing with less people in terms of being one of the notable figures. And I always say this because like, I really don't consider myself to be a massively successful channel. I have 260,000 subscribers and I get invited to some really prestigious, awesome events. And mm-hmm. I get to speak at some really cool YouTube things. And I do credit that to being niche. Because mm-hmm. I, even though I am not as big of a channel, I'm not competing, you know, in the massive pools of people. So I don't need the million to be notable. Um, so I, I, I would say, like, if you're considering what to do on YouTube, niche is really, really important. I think that it's been what's, you know, saved me and made my channel successful and allowed me to make a living off of it. Mm-hmm. But then also, what to talk about on YouTube? You should ask yourself the question, like. What do I talk about with my friends when I'm on my free time? What do I come home and search on Google? Like if I'm on an airplane and I'm looking at movies, what kind of movies am I watching? That's Mm -hmm. the thing that your channel should be about. That like extension of you that's like dying for an outlet. Let that outlet be YouTube. Totally. I 100% agree. And people resonate with what you are passionate about. And that totally comes off on the screen. Yes, I agree. That's why we're here. Yeah, no, totally. And so then you started your YouTube in um, September 2015. And at that point, like, say, what? how were your first, you know, six months or so? Were you were you growing pretty rapidly? Were you able to just do it exclusively? Were you continuing to do your photography? Like, how did that first say, you know, six months to a year ago for you? What was really grateful and fortunate about my experience is that, like I said, because I had worked in the industry for a while, I had accumulated a lot of good industry friends. And so sometimes I honestly feel like my beginning YouTube days were in some ways my most aggressive Mm -hmm. in terms of growth because of the fact that I was collaborating so feverishly. And I had that network that had taken me, you know, 20 years to accumulate that I was like, now is the time to exhaust them. And so I did a lot of collaborations in the beginning. And I have a video on my channel on like how to get to 100,000 mm-hmm. in six months. And I look back on that. I'm like, if you have all these connections, because I was just really fortunate to have a few friends with 2 million subscribers, you know, who I would do a video on my channel and they would really enjoy that video because it was so unique and it'd be like, hey, Shannon, can I put it on my channel too? Like I never asked people in return. I think it's not good YouTube business. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you work with someone and do great work and they recognize the fact that your reach is only so far, they may be like, okay, cool. I wouldn't mind some extra content. I'll put that over on my space. And that happened to me, you know, two or three times, which gave me a really great boost in the beginning. So I, I would say, um, my first six months were a really exciting month, six months. And within that time, yeah, I did get to a hundred thousand subscribers and I was able to phase out the photography job. So how did you know these people? I mean, they, they happen to be YouTubers themselves. Yes. Yeah, and people you meet at auditions, mm. um, you meet at a, like industry events. Um, because I was, I've been a sexual educator for the past 10 years. I've been a YouTuber maybe for, you know, two or three, but for those other years, there are times you're invited on panels or there are times that you're within certain industry events and you have an agent who sends you somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you do meet people in the industry and, YouTube and the industry are a lot more intertwined than they were, say, five years ago. Mm-hmm. So you're meeting peers all the time. Especially in L.A. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially in L.A. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was just really fortunate to, like, for example, the MTV audition. Uh, I walked in the room and there was this guy. We hit it off really well. His name is Bart. He has a channel called Just Kidding News. And also he had a channel called Ask the Feels. 
and that was a sex and relationship channel, but it was for people who had no expertise talking about sex. So when we talked in the audition room, he was like, this is great. Even though you have no following and you're a nobody, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you have an expertise. Why don't you come over to my channel and, you know, promote yourself and then also like help us. And then that happened at the very beginning of my mm. YouTube sort of resurgence. And so that pushed a lot of content for to, uh, a lot of viewers towards me and allowed me to give them something that they didn't have on that channel. Yeah, I mean, I think if you have some kind of an expertise or something, I mean, that's that's just great because people you know, people can use that. And it's it's a value. You know, it's not just like a hobby for you. That's kind of what you did. Did you get any kind of like degree in like sex therapy or anything like that? Or where did your kind of expertise specifically in like sex and relationships come from? Yeah, so I went to school for journalism. And then I graduated and I went to the University of Toronto and took a continuing education course there to become a sex education counselor. Ah. And then I worked at the school for about a year, a year and a half, just talking to kids who came in the office to get general advice. Oh, wow. And that then, must have been interesting. <laughs> it was definitely interesting. It's yeah. a lot of like, go see a doctor and here are some condoms and have you thought of using a vibrator? That's pretty uh-huh. much the three things that you say constantly all day. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I came out to California, one of the first auditions that I went on was for a sex-focused show and someone told me about this institute there. And so I ended up enrolling in that. And so then my first six months here, uh, I went to San Francisco it's a school called the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. Mm. And there I got my associate in sex education. And then I became certified as a clinical sexologist last year. Oh, you're so like, like, so you're, you're, you're legit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, I'm not, a, yeah. I, I can't prescribe and diagnose people. And I yeah. always make that distinction. I'm not a doctor. I cannot tell you if you have a dysfunction or I cannot tell you what medication to use. Uh, but I have put time and effort into knowing as much as I possibly can about this topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure that people, people like that. And that's how you become in demand and people want to work with you and they want to collaborate with you because you have definitely something to offer in that regard. And so you're saying this friend that you met, this guy that you met, he had people on his channel talking about it, but they did not have the same kind of experience and credentials that you did. Yeah. And it was a good channel because really Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, four friends talking about sex. So somebody would ask a question and these four friends would just riff on it. Mm -hmm. And me coming in there didn't change that dynamic. It's just one person who may have an informed perspective. And so I think that it was like an easy fit in that regard. And I've seen so many experts, you know, have that same experience where you're invited into places that aren't based on popularity or relationships, but by virtue of your experience. Mm -hmm. So that would be another benefit, I think, to being niche. Yeah, I think for sure. Or like the other thing too, like, you know, a lot of people say, you know, this is like, I mean, people talk about like in beauty or like in, in lots of different things like, oh, you know, I want to have a YouTube channel and this and that. Like, do I even go to college? And it's like, dude, I'm 100 percent go to school, go to education because you just don't know the whole thing with YouTube. And and you can you can find yourself even more in school and get like a certain kind of um, schooling or degree or something that you can apply to your channel that'll differentiate you from everybody else that's out there. So, um, yeah, I'm a big believer in that. That's solid advice. And the thing with it is that as insiders in the U- in the YouTube world, I'm sure you and I know so many success stories yeah. that we forget about the people. I went to Playlist Live this weekend and I met this girl who approached me after my panel and was like, I have been at YouTube consistently for a year and a half now. I have studied all the things. I have the right thumbnails. I have the right titles. I know how to tag. I know about analytics and my channel won't budge. Why? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so there are people who do all the right things and just don't get that outcome. And so it absolutely is very integral. I think it, YouTube is a very stressful experience. And to speak to that right now, like with the whole adpocalypse demonetization thing, yeah, I suffer greatly from that. Oh, really? Um, because YouTube has never been like my bread and butter, it's always been the thing that I use as a business card almost. It doesn't really matter to me. I mean, yeah. it sucks, but it's not the end of the world. It won't change my lifestyle in any capacity. And well, that's why you have to diversify. I mean, that, and that's why it's important to still, if you have the opportunity to get an education, to still get that education and to diversify in the sense of diversify your brand. Like don't just rely on YouTube. Don't just rely on the YouTube AdSense, you know, use other things, use affiliates, do, um, you know, consulting, do other, other types of things. Like, like you said, and I, and I, I really believe this too, is that YouTube can be seen as like, for some people, even like a resume or, you know, like you said, a business card or something for other types of opportunities. 
A hundred percent. And that's a really healthy way. If you equated it like Instagram, if you make money off of it, great. But if you don't, you didn't base your income off of that. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. Obviously, if you're making $20,000 a month on YouTube, you know, you're allowed to look at that like money. But when you're just starting out, I do think looking at it like I'm going to invest all my eggs into this basket. It's not the most reliable one. Yeah, Yeah, it's dangerous. You don't want to do that for any type of a platform. Mm-hmm. you have to, you know, you have to, you should create a website, you know, maybe, maybe create an email list, you know, sell things on your site. There's just so many different things that you can do in the digital age. And YouTube is an amazing one. And it's one that you can showcase your personality and who you are, but you shouldn't just be exclusively doing it. I totally agree. You know better than anybody else. So yeah, that's yeah. advice to listen to. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, okay. So you were able to get, you said like a hundred thousand subscribers in you said five six, months, six, six months, six yeah. months. And you attribute that to basically like your connection in the industry and like all the different people you're able to collaborate with, basically. A hundred percent collaborations, consistency and capital, you know, being able to invest in yourself to create a standard of quality that when people see it for the first time, mm-hmm. they're more likely to say, I want to see more. Yeah. And that's a really important part of it, too, because when you're first starting out and I hate barriers, and I hate telling people wait because you shouldn't wait. You should do it right now because there's a seven year old kid who's killing it on YouTube with his like PS4 mm-hmm. that he's <laughs> reporting on stuff. So, yeah. you know, go after it and do it. But I know especially for me, because I was putting myself in the expertise role, I wanted to make sure that my content looked really professional and polished. Yeah, I totally agree with that because I've had people, you know, I, I get approached by those people all the time, the people that you mentioned, you know, that you met, like I'm doing everything right and this and that. And, you know, you can look at their channel and be like, well, you know, you you could do this, you could do that. But it's like I, I for your situation specifically, um, I totally agree in that if you're going to come on as an expert in some way, shape or form, um, especially with, you know, the education behind you and the experience and all that, like your channel has to look polished because that's a reflection of you and your skills and your abilities at whatever you're talking about. So like it just would do you such a huge disservice to hop on there, you know, uh, doing what you're doing and just be on your iPhone because because people are going to watch it and be like, oh, like, who is she? Like, what's her credentials? So like out of the gate, you almost have to like have build up that credibility with the quality of your videos. Agreed. Yes. So did you do that? Like, did you spend some time and money when it came to setting up like your, you know, your filming space, the camera? Did you have experience? I mean, you obviously have photography experience. Did you already have that in place? So then you were able to kind of get started like that? Or, you know, what was your experience at the beginning with the quality of your videos? I I watched a bunch of your videos, but I didn't go way back to the beginning. Your videos now, by the way, are like freaking productions. And I want to talk about them because they're like (laughs) mini movies. And I'm like, oh my God, like... Oh my God, how does she not have like a million subscribers? Like your videos are like little movies. But but back in the back when you first started, I didn't get a chance to look at them. Were, were they like that? Did they have that kind of quality or were you kind of building up to that? Um, I mean, the kind of style that I'm doing now is definitely different, but I have had the same camera for probably three years now. And I am fortunate because I did come from a photography background. So I did already have the camera and the tripod, which is 80% of it. I bought this microphone that you can buy at any camera store that is a wired microphone. And I've used that for years. I still use that. I think it's magnificent. It's $50. You can do little stuff as well, too, like getting reflectors. You can go to a Home Depot or any kind of car store and get those things that you put in your car windows to block out the sun. Mm -hmm. Bring those into your home and use those to reflect light. There's the ring light, which is a $100 investment, Mm -hmm. which turns up the production value on a lot of different stuff. So I definitely made an investment before I said to myself, I want to start being consistent. I want this to be a thing. And that investment wasn't massive because I already had the two main components, but you know, it, it was substantial. What, uh, what camera do you use? I have a Canon 5D Mark III, but now I also have like a Sony, eight, like now I have three cameras mm-hmm. and I love that setup with all my heart. Uh, I have a Sony 8600 and I also have like an Olympus OMD 5E, I think, and the Canon is still my main joint. That's still the one that like I do my direct to cameras. And if I do alternate angles, I use the smaller ones. Mm. And then what's that microphone that you use? I don't have the name off the top of my head. I'm going to mm-hmm. say Vivitar, but I feel like I was recently corrected on that. Mm. Um, so oh, okay. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's one of the ones you actually can put it in your phone as well. Okay. So, so, um, one of the questions that I always ask everybody was, you know, 
I mean, it sounded like you had a lot of those collaborations, you had a lot of those relationships, which is amazing. But was there any type of a tipping point for your channel where, where it was either some kind of a shout out or collaboration or, or a video that went borrow or something that took your channel to that next level? My channel grew 50,000 subscribers in a month. And I literally oh, don't wow. really know why. I can kind of guess. I did a collab video with Tim DeLaghetto. And I think that video maybe had 180,000 subscribers, which would be unreasonable for that many people to transfer from that video and click the subscribe button. Usually the transfer rate is like 2%. Yeah, it's a lot so, less than that. Yeah, so I don't really know why. But for some reason in January, I just had a ridiculous growth. Um, but that would probably be one of the times I was like, wow. You know, I'm here to play now. And then yeah. the next month it was like 5,000. So I'm like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> so wow. It's not like it's like a, a thing where it's like, oh, you just keep growing. And so I think you have to have a real big sense of humor when it comes to YouTube mm -hmm. because you can put so much effort and time into a video and it get nothing. Yeah. And then you could just throw something out there that you shot in one day because you were desperate for content. And for whatever reason, that is at a million right now. Um, you just, it, you you just have to never know humor about it. You yeah. never, and that's why, like what you said at the, at the beginning of our discussion, of just like keep on doing it and be consistent because you just, you just don't know which video is gonna like pop. Yeah, and it's it's frustrating sometimes, yeah. but when it works in your favor, you're like, okay, this is cool. Oh my god! So you went you went back and you kind of looked and you're like, why did I get this these fifty thousand? And you really you have no clue what what it could have been other than maybe yeah. that collaboration. Maybe the collaboration mm -hmm. um, for sure. Sometimes like random stuff happen like um, BuzzFeed and Vice. They have all like promoted my channel and some like on their Snapchat or MTV has done oh, that. Really? Like, oh, sex ed channels to look out for. And I, so I, I kind of feel like at this point, my name is just, and I'm in a good position in that regard by sticking to a niche. Like my name is in a pool of people that mm -hmm. people think of when they think of sex education, YouTubers. On YouTube, yeah. Yeah. So it, I get like random promo here and there. Um. I know you're working with a manager now, but did you have like an agent or manager at the beginning, um, you know, to kind of help you get those types of uh, shout outs from like BuzzFeed and things like that, like PR? I would say this is a massive part of my story. So when I came to LA, you need an agent to sponsor you and you can't do from, that immigration From Canada, wise. yeah, from another yeah. country, yeah. Yeah. So I ended up getting an agent who I looked at like we were together by fate because we kind of got together like at the last minute as in the nick of time in order for me to, you know, achieve the result of auditioning for that show. And I stayed with her for maybe almost two years of my LA experience. And it just wasn't moving. Mm. And around that time, like, you know, I started doing YouTube. And then it was after maybe I'd hit 100,000. And I'm like, this is a traditional agent you know, and I want to stick by her and I want to be loyal, but I don't think she understands my business. And she was sending me out for acting auditions, which I couldn't repeat anymore. I do not want. Yeah. And it just got to a point where I was like, I have to leave. And so I actually ended up having to like break my contract get a lawyer. I couldn't work for months. Um, but oh, yeah. after that time was finished, I signed with full screen who they do their business is digital media. Mm -hmm. And that has made a massive difference. I've been with full screen for a year and absolutely a lot of the opportunities, you know, the first thing I did with them is a deal with MTV and Trojan condoms, which was the biggest paycheck I've ever received in my life. I couldn't wow. even believe they're willing to pay me that. Um, but it was just like when the fit is right and they know the business and they know who's where you're supposed to get paid and they know all those things, like it's just the right fit. So I would boast you know, especially in a digital world where there's so many unwritten rules, attach yourself with somebody who knows as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. Like, did they find the full screen find you? Did you reach out to them? Or how did you get connected to them? I honestly think, yeah, in particular, the manager reached out to me and Adam had just gone to the company. I think he was scouting for talent. Mm -hmm. um, but MCNs are always looking for talents. There's mm -hmm. never a barrier like, oh, I have to wait till they reach out to me. I mean, I was fortunate because when I spoke to him, because I had been signed to Maker before that, which yeah. is another MCN, I had a terrible experience with them, but it wasn't their fault. Again, I wasn't consistent. I, my YouTube channel was like almost a place I just put interviews from TV. Mm -hmm. And so what are they supposed to do with that? And so I'd had a negative taste in my mouth, but when full screen came along, I spoke because it's really all about person-to-person -person relationships. Mm -hmm. And I felt like me and Adam were deeply aligned, and that's why I'm still there to this day. Yeah, I mean, I've heard so many mixed things about MCNs, and um, some people have, like, amazing experiences, and some people are like, oh, my God, they're just, like, 
taking my AdSense for, for no reason. So I think it's like you really have to like be really particular and just if you feel, if you have a good feeling and you're able to have that personal connection, great. But I've just, I've heard so many different things about it. Yeah. And I'm at the point now where my experience with full screen is so ridiculously good. I don't even feel comfortable referring people because it's almost impossible to duplicate the experience I've had there. But again, that also has to do with being niche. And I love that about myself is that either you can work with me or you can't. Mm -hmm. There is no like, oh, maybe who knows? It's like you either want a sex girl, you don't want a sex girl. Well, that's Um, yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say that's what that's why having a niche is like so cool, too, because it's like, they're like this. They're like, I could, I could do something with this. Like, I know what I could do with this person because it's so specific. Like, I know where I can put her. Like, you, you said that deal with MTV and, and Trojan condoms. Like, hello, that's made for you, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know what to do with her, which is also, also awesome too. Like, I think, you know, I, the downside, of course, of what I do is that one, I'm not ad friendly and two, a lot of opportunities. They're like, well, she would be great, but because of her content, we're not comfortable affiliating ourselves with her. So I lose opportunities too, but I always look at it like the ones that are for me are perfectly for me. And I'd rather be in that space than be like the lukewarm girl who like could do anything, but yeah. isn't working that often. That's the thing. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you're, you, you have to kind of have a voice or something. Otherwise, you'll be stuck in the middle with, with, with nothing. That's interesting that you pointed out about like being ad friendly. So that's where the YouTube whole like what what do they call the ad uh, ad apocalypse. Adpoc- <laughs> I know I, I can't pronounce ad apocalypse. I can see how that really affected you. And if if maybe some people listening aren't totally aware, so if you want to explain a little bit about that and kind of what's going on with that. Yeah, it kind of happened in waves where mm-hmm. a couple of companies, massive companies, pulled out of YouTube because their ads were being run on non family friendly content. Like I had heard that on a terrorist video an Mm -hmm. ad was run before that. And that's obviously a bad reflection of that brand. And so because this kept happening, a bunch of ads got together and they said, you know what, or ad companies were no longer going to advertise with YouTube. And then YouTube had to respond. And so they created the restricted mode, which is, I don't understand because YouTube has YouTube kids. Now they have restricted mode. And then in addition to that, they were like, okay, until we can figure this out, guys, we're taking ads off of anything that we deem could be controversial. And that's news outlets, anything sex obviously related, Mm -hmm. anything that's like graphic humor, anything with swearing, anything that has like heavy opinions on politics or on race or on gender. Um, And so that's why all of the LGBTQIA content got demonetized and that made a massive uproar just because they were like, until we can fix this problem, everybody except for people making videos about Elsa and makeup, Mm -hmm. you know, the rest of you, we don't want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could appeal. I mean, you can every video that has gone demonetized, you can send through the appeal process, and they have something set up in place for that. Or you could just be like, "All right, yeah, I gotta find some other way to make money." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I can imagine we're like tons, a lot of your videos affected. It's kind of bizarre because what happens is that they don't necessarily demonetize your videos, but they don't run ads on them either. And so you don't see the lack of the green. And it's bizarre because this happened in a wave and all while it was happening, I wasn't being affected up until the point that my last YouTube check was my highest ever. And then my manager called me this month and was like, just so you're aware, you're probably making $200 this month, if that. Mm. And here's why. And it was like, oh, like I kind of felt like I was being saved this whole time or like maybe YouTube just like forgot about me. But I mean, it caught up to me and that's what it is. Well, I hope you are enjoying the interview with Shan, but I'd like to take a minute to introduce our sponsor for this episode of the podcast, Fashion Nova. And for all of you fashion vloggers and Instagrammers and YouTubers out there, you need to know Fashion Nova if you haven't heard of them already. They're a super affordable online retailer of the trendiest stuff. You can sport the latest trends and it's super affordable. They have new styles that release every single day and they're really good quality for the price. Um, And even my pregnant body has been rocking some of their really cute rompers and tees. I'm loving the variety of all the stuff that they have. And did I mention that it is super affordable? So if you want to do a little bit of shopping for spring and summer and grab some cute stuff, head on over to fashionnova.com. That's F-A-S-H-I-O-N-N-O-V-A.com. And use the Beauty in the Vlog discount code ERICA20. That's ERICA with a K. Also, if you're an influencer, email P 
are at fashionnova.com and tell them that I sent you for a chance to work with the brand. Now back to the interview. Okay, so we talked about your your tipping point and kind of how you kind of how you grew. Um, you're working with your manager, and then one of the questions that we always ask also is, have you struggled with anything at all throughout this kind of YouTube journey? Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is, "You can't connect the dots looking forward," and that's been a massive problem mm. for me in my career. I constantly do that where I'm like, oh, I moved to LA and I made these sacrifices. And so when I go on the audition, I'm going to get it because that's why all these things happened. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something you definitely can't do on YouTube. And that's something I actually did this month, for example, where I had taken some time off because I shot another MTV pilot and I shot season two of my full screen show coming out May 15th. And then I also was on tour for AIDS Healthcare Foundation. So April was just an insane Busy. month for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't have time to put up content. So I'm like, okay, to your point earlier, I'm like, let me do a series that to me exemplifies what good sex ed should be. That's going to be half scripted, half direct to camera instructional. And I spent a lot of sleepless nights on days that I should have been getting rest, like getting this thing together. Cause I'm like, if I'm not going to upload on my channel for all of April, I want to come back strong in May. And in my mind, this was going to mean the next big push. This was going to mean my YouTube channel taking off. This was going to mean like me separating myself from the competition. And so I really connected the dots looking forward and hyped myself up. And sure enough, I put the video out to like one of the lowest view counts I've ever gotten in 24 hours. Oh, man. And, you know, it's five episodes and the first two performed awful. The third performed well. And the fourth one just put out performed eh, average. And, you know, it really hurt at first because you're like, I put in effort, I put in time, this is exactly what the content I want to be doing, you know, why aren't people receiving it? And that's a struggle on YouTube is you can't control the algorithm, you can't control what people do or don't want to see. And oftentimes, it can feel like, well, man, maybe I should just do challenge videos where I eat cinnamon, and then I'll get a million views. Yeah. Um, But you have to know that even though the views may not be there, the gratitude is there, and the engagement is there. And that has to be enough. Were, did you release that, that series after you had taken that break in, you said in, in April? Yes. Okay. Do you think that might have had something to do with it? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of mistakes I made. One, you know, I used the screenshot at first of the main actress in the series. Mm-hmm. And so if you haven't seen my content in a month and the first thing on your feed is a face you don't recognize, you're not going to click that video. Yeah. Um, so I made mistakes in that regard. And yeah, I do believe that if you you're mean, not You use it as a thumbnail. You have to use your own face when people are like, yeah. okay, you know, and that's the thing is clickbaiting is a terrible thing that is almost synonymous with success in YouTube at this point. And nobody wants it to be that way. But it just at the point where it's like, it's really difficult because we're competing with so much content and you're mm-hmm. competing against the algorithm, which the algorithm fav- favors people who post frequently. And so if you're not posting frequently, the algorithm says, okay, this person no longer watches this video. So we're not going to put this video at the top of their feed. Um, so yeah, I made a mistake in taking some time off, which is why to our point, mm-hmm. you know, consistency wins on YouTube. Um, it's a humbling place. I'll say that there's never a time where you're not struggling because you can have two successful videos back to back and the following week, for whatever reason, the other one doesn't perform at all, or you get some comment that's completely nasty and makes you feel down. So yeah. the struggle on YouTube is constant because you are the ad executive and the CEO and the creator and the talent. And you're also the program director. You're, you're doing it all. You're everything. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. And yeah. And it's your face right, right there too. So it's just like every aspect of it is completely your doing and your responsibility, which is a good and a bad thing. You know, you get the, the kudos and, but then you also get the criticism. So it's, it's like an up and down roller coaster in a way. Yeah, because you, a video that performs really well, but you know has negative comments, the PR side of you is saying this is bad, mm-hmm. but the program director side of you is saying this is great. It's and vice versa, mm-hmm. when a video comes out that doesn't perform well, the program director in you is like, this is awful. But the PR side is like, well, look at the comments. And the struggle is just, it's never ending. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard. And nobody, the thing is though, because YouTube itself is so vague and on purpose, because they don't want anyone to game the system. They don't want anyone to really know what they're doing, that everyone's guessing. Everyone's trying to figure it out. So it's like, nobody knows, you know, you think you're doing all the right things and you just don't know. Exactly. And when you do know they change it, then mm-hmm. you have to figure it out all over again. Yeah. 
No, definitely. So, um, so that series that you put out, was that, did you work like, it sounds like you like worked really hard on that and you just felt like it was really kind of a a labor of love and it just didn't get that attention you wanted? A hundred percent. Like it was at, when I did my book laid, that was the concept that sex in media is so interesting and it has good looking people and interesting storylines, but it's all BS. Mm -hmm. Whereas in sex ed, is all factual and great information, but it's so dry and boring. I'm like, why aren't they weaving the two together to create interesting storylines that have factual lessons in them? And I feel like this series was really like a fruition of what my original thought, my original goal 10 years ago was on sex ed. Mm. And I, I really believe that a lot of life me, a lot of life's best ideas come when you go back to an old idea. Mm-hmm. Something that you knew was true, that was at your gut, that you ignored, you know, for years. And then you go back to that original thought that you had, and that was the right one. Yeah. No, because sometimes you can get sidetracked really easily. And then you lose sight of what, you know, your original intent. And then you go back and you're like, well, but at the same time, going back later, you have a different set of experiences and knowledge that you might not have had the first time around also. So- yeah. And I'm, I'm sure if I did it, you know, however many years ago and I received the response I got now, I would have been like discouraged and I wouldn't have given up. Yeah. But instead I'm like, okay, what can I learn from this? The format didn't work in catching eyeballs. However, people really loved it who watched it and people really got something from it. So when I do the next parts, you know, five part series, I'm going to incorporate the lessons I learned and keep the good things that people enjoyed. And that's just the YouTube way. Yeah, because I'm asked, you're almost kind of like in that right now where like you're still releasing that series or you just released that. You just experienced that. So what are you going to do moving forward? I think uh, it was a really great eye opener as I went to Playlist Live and I was on a panel that was YouTubers who make money off of YouTube, which I'm so grateful to have even been thought of as a part of that list because everybody on the panel was incredible. The lady who was beside me was Latina and she started her talk with like, I make seven figures and here's how. And she spoke a lot about speaking to your audience, not talking to everybody. She's like, my audience is the Maria's. So I talk to Maria. I don't talk to Sally and Becky or Janelle. I talk to Maria. And I think a part of my series was me like trying to talk to everybody because I believe sex is a universal topic, but I could have made it more specific to my audience that I know. And definitely stuff like thumbnails and making it a bit less science heavy and a bit more here's what you can do or here's the you in this, you know, could have helped. And so take the good with the bad and you keep moving. Yeah, no, definitely. Who is that woman that that was speaking? That that um, I got to get her name for you. Um, but she has a fitness uh, YouTube and a fitness blog. Is it in Spanish or is it in, in yes. English? Oh, she okay. speaks English, but it's like, I think mostly, mostly Spanish. Mm, wow. Interesting. Um, okay. So next is our best tips section. So I'm going to go through them really quickly, just kind of off the top of your head, list off like these, you know, best tips. So first one is what is your best tip for starting a channel? Do what you love. Speak about what you talk about in your free time and just do it. Just do it. <laughs> What is your best tip for what not to do? Mm, think about that. I think the best tip for what not to do is not to create long, drawn-out content. Um, your mm. first couple of videos should be as short as possible, and then you can grow into a fan base where they don't mind hearing you talk for 12 minutes, but don't come in off the top with like a 30-minute vlog. Yeah, totally. What is your best tip for growing a channel? Collaboration, consistency, and capital. What is your best tip to get noticed on YouTube? Clickbaiting. I'm so sorry to say that, but (laughs) it really is a ridiculous title. I mean, you really have to think of it more. And again, to that lady I met on that panel, she said that she buys magazines and reads headlines. Like I'm learning from the best people who have years of experience creating headlines that catch people's eyes. Or even if you go to a magazine stand, scan the headlines and see which one draws your eye in. So I'm not saying clickbaiting to the point where you're lying, but you want to find the sexiest way to catch people's attention based on the content that you're actually making. 
Totally. I mean, I completely agree. And that's a really good tip about reading magazines, reading, you know, even like ads and things like that. Like, you know, do study copywriting and because it is really important. Like that, that title and that thumbnail is what's going to catch people's attention. It's, it is what it is. Like there's, you know, I think, I mean, I think a, a true clickbait, which is really bad is if it's misleading and has nothing to do with your video, you know, but like, I think the idea of like sensationalizing it a little bit just to get some attention, it's not a bad thing. That's a a lot of YouTubers use that approach and it really works well for them. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your best equipment tip? The microphone that goes from, I think audio is a massive one that separates people. And at this point, most video cameras are pretty decent. But the extra thing is getting that audio on point and that $50 mic that I'm going to list for you. You're going to email me so I can list it in the show notes. Yes, that one. <laughs> Everyone's going to be like, okay, I need that microphone. I I mean, it's like, like everyone says, you know, lighting, camera, audio, they're all so important. And audio is a big one too. And it's one that I think a lot of people forget about, especially in beauty, because the focus is so much, the focus is so much on, you know, um, visual, which is really, really important. But like a bad audio is so distracting. So distracting. <laughs> it's so awful. So, I mean, I particularly, you know, for a podcast, I'm super aware of that. So, I mean, I use just this uh, this Audio Technica microphone and it works great. Same thing. It's like 50, 60 bucks and it's amazing. And I've had it like forever. And they have like this lifetime, I mean, totally off topic, but they have this like really great, like, I don't know what the warranty is, but I've sent it back a couple times and they just send me a brand new one. And I'm like, when it, when it breaks, you know? So, um, yeah, anyways, it's audio and mic- microphone is, is a big deal. And to your point, like you said, 50, 50 bucks for years and years and yeah. years. So people look at it like, oh, I'll do that when I can. It's like, I understand that not everybody has disposable income, but we're not asking you for 500. And I think if you have a YouTube channel and like, you know, I think it's really easy to get sidetracked, especially with beauty or fashion to want to buy a lot of the product and the newest product. And that's important at a point. But I think what's more important is actually saving up for the for the equipment. Agreed. Yeah. Um, what about software? What is your best software tip? I like Adobe Premiere Pro. I like the Adobe Creative Suite because it has all the tools in one. So you can do your thumbnail, you, know, you can do your audio, your After Effects. And of course, you can do your video editing, mm-hmm. but that's because I'm a PC girl. Yeah, so you must. I've be. never had Final Cut. Or I've never had, um, you know, iMovie. So I don't know what those are like. But this one's been good for me. And okay, that's the best tips. And then the last part of the interview is the beauty bonus round. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to ask you about um, kind of like what you do today with your production value. Cause I think I, I, I watched that little series that you did and I thought it was really good. Thank you. Um, I thought it was really well done. It was interesting. It was quick. It was like five or six minutes. You went back and forth. It, I mean, it was very good. I was like, wow, this should, this is like an interesting, like little television show she has going on. So are you doing all this yourself? I mean, obviously you hired the actors and maybe you're their friends or something, but like, you've got to have help with that. No, just me and my partner, uh, my boyfriend, he and I both operated the camera on that because we weren't in it. And we both handle the editing and he does um, the music on it. So it just was the two of us really. Um, but yeah, I absolutely wanted to invest in actors. I think this is the town to do that. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And luckily, again, like we both have a high emphasis on audio. So we have already invested in a lot of the equipment and a lot of the stuff that we have for existing videos we were mm-hmm. able to use for the series. Uh, does your boyfriend, does, is he in YouTube? Does he have a channel or like how did, how is he in the industry? He does music. Mm-hmm. And so we, I have a second channel called the examined life, which really is my channel to throw up anything. And he appears on that a lot mm-hmm. less on my own exact channel. Um, but not, he's not a YouTuber. I wouldn't say that, but he has, he has the, the abilities and skills to help you out. Oh yeah. He's a sound like Nazi oh, that's and nice. that helped me so much. And now I'm like that too. Like I can hear where I'm like, are you in a room? You didn't put rugs down. Like yeah. there's echo. And before I didn't care at all. So yeah, sound has definitely improved a lot because of his help. Yeah. Does he help you out on a lot of your videos or just this series? I mean, absolutely. Whenever I have a budget and I, I always, I think it's really important to pay the people no matter if you're dating them or if you're best friends with them. But, mm-hmm. and that was one of the things actually my friend, Shameless Maya, who has a channel of 800,000, who was massively responsible for a large portion of my audience. Cause she 
featured me so many times on her channel. Mm. When I was struggling and like going through my hard times in LA, she would often hire me as a camera person or hire me to do little jobs for her, for her channel. And so now that I'm in a position where I can do the same, I want to do the same for my friends and my partner. So if I have a job that I have a budget for, then absolutely I get extra help and I want to use the people who support me all the time. That's great. I, I, I agree too. That's, it's, it's really all about really respecting people and their time and their talents. And I think it's something that easily in this industry can be overlooked because there's so many people that want to do it. There's so many actors or, or whatever it is. And it's just, it, it goes so long to really respect people and their time. And like you said, pay them for what they're doing and, and all that. I'm a big believer in that too. Okay, so we're going to go into the beauty bonus round. And so um, the first question is, because um, we already talked about a couple of these, but your first question is, what would you not do again if you were to start your channel right now? About beauty or just anything in general? No, your, your, your channel. What would, okay. you, what would you, you personally not do again? I wouldn't put out dates to say expect a video from me before I knew I could deliver. And so I made the mistake a lot of being like every Sunday and Wednesday. And that was a lie. I had to go back on a lot. <laughs> yeah. So just don't say a day until you know you can commit to that day. Yeah. Um, who would be your dream collaboration? Lacey Green. Um, mm, Lacey Green yeah. is also on full screen and she has a massively successful sex ed channel. She is kind of like the Madonna. She's huge. Yeah. Yeah. She really is uh, of sex ed on YouTube. And so her for sure. Um, what is your favorite social media platform other than YouTube? I love Instagram. I, I love Insta story. I was not a Snapchat fan at all. I do not care how you look when you are a deer or a possum or a flower yeah. crown princess. Oh I'm God, not I'm interested. I'm not into Snapchat at all either. And I find those things so weird. I'm like, oh it's my just, God. Yeah. It's way too much of people like, look at my face. Whereas yeah. an Insta story is more, here's what I'm doing. What and I'm doing. I love it. Yeah. I, I'm so in agreement with you on that whole thing. I I haven't said that here before on the show, but like, I'm not into like that, those crowns, a dog. It's so weird to me. But anyways, um, glad somebody else feels the same way yes. as me. <laughs> um, what do you wish you did do when you first started your channel? I wish, and I still should do this, is finding a way to integrate what's popular into my topic. And so when the hundred layers challenge came on, someone said to me, why don't mm. you do hundred layers of condoms? Oh my God. And I was like, I will not <laughs> do that because I am a professional. Yeah. And then I saw someone else do it and get 40 million views. And oh so you're like, my God. Uh. so, I mean, that's kind of part of playing the game too. It is, is. That when there is a trend, get on it. You don't have to do it in a way that doesn't represent your niche. Um, but yeah, bringing your niche to what's popular. And like what you said before, like I think it goes with with the, a really good comment you said earlier about just having a really good sense of humor about the whole thing, you know? I mean, you might have to throw up a video like that and be like, eh, you know, whatever. But you're like, it is. You said you got to play the game. Yeah, you do. Yeah. As long as like you're not selling out every time um, and you're still doing things that you're passionate about and all that. But every now and then throw up a video and say, well, you know what? It's a trendy one. I had fun with it. Let's see what happens. Exactly. What is the biggest mistake that you've made with your YouTube channel? The biggest mistake I made on my YouTube channel 100% is there was another YouTuber whom in the comment section slandered me on her video. And I did mm. not want to respond on her video because I was getting all these negative comments based on her comment. And I made a video response to her in which I vaguely addressed the topic that the two of us were like in contention over. Mm -hmm. And because I vaguely addressed it in a way that's like, girl, I don't know you. I never met you before. Like we have someone in common from the past. Neither one of us are linked with that person. Like chill out. Mm -hmm. um, I just knowing the kind of personality who would make a slanderous comment about a complete stranger. Yeah. It's like, why even go seeing there? that video just blew up. She made a 20 minute video about me. I have not watched it to this day because that's what self care is about. And it was like a week or a month of just like a lot of negativity towards me. And so responding back to people has definitely been a challenge for me. And even when it comes to negative comments, I make that mistake to this day sometimes where I respond in emotion to people and then that becomes the, it overshadows the video. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's one of those things where you kind of have to look at it like you did your job with your content. If people like it, then great. If they don't, that's what the comment section is for. Let it be. 
Um, you know, I didn't take a look at it when I was spending some time on your channel, but is your, I can imagine that your comment section is probably pretty robust based on your videos. Yeah. I mean, it's a catch 22. Like for example, the five part series is mm -hmm. nothing but positivity. Like I literally haven't seen one negative feedback on that, Yeah, but me and my partner have an open relationship and that video has like close to 4,000 comments and it's probably pretty split of like, you're the devil and going to hell and everyone is hates you to like, this is really cool and awesome. And I'm really proud that there's this kind of content on YouTube. Um, so there's definitely videos that are a lot more polarizing, but I think all in all, like it's still the same split of like probably 90, 10. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. Um, but, but you probably get like a lot of engagement, I imagine. Yeah. I yeah. think so. I don't, I'm not like one of those people who knows what like is normal What's on YouTube. normal or not. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like, oh, if you have this many views, you should have this much comments. Uh, I have like, I'm really satisfied with my community. I think they're smart. A lot of people make, I was in New York Times and then somebody wrote me back and said, this kind of content that you're making for children is just, you know, it's way too much, too mature. And I was like, look at my demographics. There's my 13 to 17 demographic is like my least. And then below that, even it's non existent. Yeah, that's yeah, weird. Which, what made them think you were making this for children? Your content does not look like it's for children at all. Your actors are older. I mean, it doesn't look like at yeah. all it's geared for young people. You know how people are. I know. That's the thing. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Um, okay. What is your favorite video or one that you've done that you're the most proud of? Absolutely. My five-part series. Um, the video that I just put out, actually, which is about limerence which is extreme heartbreak is my most proud when we were shooting it it was like so like wow i'm in my purpose and it was just an amazing experience from start to finish it's one of those videos that like i loved editing and i've watched it millions of times at this point and i could still watch it and even though again like it didn't perform that i want how i wanted like i want to keep doing that content because it's the kind of content that i love yeah that's great what are you really glad that you've done so far with your in your YouTube journey? I'm really glad that I was honest and I never painted myself as a perfect person. And even though I put myself on the expert uh, pedestal, I suppose, I'm still Shannon Boudram. I'm still a woman trying to figure things out. I'm still somebody who's honest about my mistakes. I've talked about contracting chlamydia. I've talked about being in negative relationships. You know, I've talked about mistakes that I have made or, you know, being broke. I shared that story on my YouTube channel of getting bed bugs in Hollywood and like having to move oh no money, you know, the, all <laughs> yeah. the struggle. I've never kept that away from my audience. And so everyone, you know, if I do make a mistake, they look at me as an evolving person. And so I think that has given me flexibility and freedom on YouTube. Yeah. And I can imagine your audience feels very connected to you. Yeah, I, I do hope that. And whenever I meet people in the street, it's always like, Never like, hey, I like your videos. It's always like, oh, girl, how's the bed bugs? You know, it's always some deeply <laughs> personal stuff, which I think is cool. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, what is your favorite opportunity that you got as a result of being on YouTube? The full screen show that I'm in season two for. Yeah, let's uh, talk about that. I know that's coming yeah, up. That was incredible because it came to me and said, if you could make content on a level that you can't produce by yourself, what would you do? And really, I was very passionate about hearing young people describe dating and how hard dating was. And I've never found dating to be hard, but I'm like, am I a magician? Like, I just always have an awesome time. Even when I haven't met, you know, met up with the dude for a second time, that first time I got something out of it or I learned something, I've never had a bad time on a date. And so I wanted to do a series that was like, here's how you be a pro dater, you know, never have a bad first date again and create an intimate, you know, connection with anybody at your will. And here's how. And I didn't have any hair or makeup for any of those dates. And it was such an incredibly humbling and hard experience. But like people love that series. Uh, season two, I'm doing a different psychological social experiment on each date. And so all the times that I've researched things in school about like, this is what would work or this is what works for men and what works for women. I tested those things out to see if they would actually work on dates. And we did the Oedipus complex, which is like, do men all want to date their mom? Mm. Um, I did this experiment where for the first half of a date with someone, I agreed, I disagreed with all that they said. And the second half, I agreed with all that they said. And I'm like, that's supposed to create the perfect balance for somebody of like an ideal mate and make you feel stronger to them because they felt they won you over. Mm. So we just tried all these like interesting. really interesting experiments. Super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was one of those things where it was like, 
I feel I'm the executive producer and seeing the credits for the first time made me cry because it's like created by executive yeah. producer, hosted by, written by. You're like, me, um, me, me. <laughs> yeah. But they did all the hard work. Like yeah. they booked the crew, they edited it, yeah, like they bring that, the lights, they yeah. have the cameras, like all the hard work they did, but like I get all the credit and it's I so love the cool. final product. It's great. Yeah. So, I mean, where can, where can people find that? So full screen is a streaming platform. It's just like Netflix or Hulu that okay. it's a monthly subscription service. If you're with AT&T, you get a one year for free and you get a one week free, um, free trial. So you can, at the very least watch my entire first season for free right now. It's called Shambuti is your perfect date. Uh, season two is called the exact same thing. And full screen is making incredible content for digital creators and allowing like your favorite YouTubers to make shows that they couldn't make on their own channel. Oh, that's so cool. So that, so Full Screen is going to start coming out with just more like higher production type shows using YouTubers, basically. Yeah, like Shay Mitchell has a show on mm-hmm. YouTube, on, on Full Screen, sorry. And like Tim De La Ghetto has a show on there and Alexis Zijal and Miles McKenna, like who's a massive sensation right now. So there's a lot of creators. And again, like I'd probably say I'm the smallest numbers mm-hmm. creator who got her own show. Mm-hmm. And I would once again attribute that to being niche. That's so, that's an amazing opportunity. And I'm obviously, I'm assuming this is like a job they're paying you. They're doing the whole thing. Yes, girl. It's everything. It's like, it's so good. It's just, it's a great opportunity. MTV one, of course, was insanely massive too. And such a great fit and has led to other great things like the pilot that I shot for them this month. Um, But it's different because it's not really my concept. It's more like I'm a talent on their concept. I thought the MTV one you didn't get. That was the pilot in 2015. Oh, the Trojan one I did last year. Oh, that one, that one, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. God, you've got some really, you've had some really cool opportunities. That was on MTV, the Trojan one? It was on MTV.com. And okay. then, yeah, we have like commercials run on the on the actual channel. Okay. Wow, that's very cool too. Um, that's awesome. And, and this is your second season. You're just about to start. It is my second season. Wow. Yes. Good and hopefully, for you. hopefully, hopefully there's one more coming after this. That's awesome. So I'm gonna link all that in the description. So if you guys want to go check out her her show on full screen, I'll make sure that you guys can go check it out and whatever the links is. So I'll get it from you or Adam, you know, so people know how to how to access it. And then last question is what is your superpower? So superpower is like a natural ability you're almost born with it that um you feel that you don't have to work at but you feel has contributed to your success i think it's my ability to make people feel comfortable and familiar and that lends itself perfectly because i'm talking about a very uncomfortable topic that makes people feel very weird or cringeworthy whereas in my natural ability is to make people feel comfortable and so i think that has been the perfect fit for that and that's what Shampoo to Perfect Day has been all about, really. It's just like, how do you create fast, intimate, familiar feelings with a perfect stranger? That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed chatting with you and listening to your experience. And um, for those of you that want to check out kind of you and everything you're all about, what's the best place that they can find you? I think YouTube is probably my favorite business card. And if you just Google Shan Booty or Shan Boodram, or Shannon Boudram, <laughs> it's like, it'll all lead you to the same place. Um, but I always think it doesn't really matter if you, if I piqued your interest, hopefully the topic itself on sexual health and sexual empowerment is a topic of interest to you. And that's something worth Googling. So there's a lot of great creators out there making content in this vein. That's great. And I'll have our links in the show notes as well. So make sure you go check those out. All right. Well, Shan, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. And yes to Skype for like (laughs) behaving. I know. I know. Oh, my God. Oh, you're telling me. All right, Shan. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Erica. Well, there you go. That is our interview. And if you enjoy this, please give the podcast a review. It helps so, so much. I will see you next week. Mwah.